Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week we are talking about body positivity. My name is Emily Mitchell and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center. I have returning Catherine Ross. Catherine works as a sex educator with Planned Parenthood. She teaches subjects such as birth control, safer sex, pregnancy, healthy relationships, and more. Every day she gives back to the little girl in her by giving youth the knowledge they need to make informed decisions. On her downtime, she is a spoken word poet, UCF student, and animal lover. Catherine, thanks so much for being here again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to have this conversation and just um, learn a lot and also um, impart some of my knowledge. Thank you so much. And I also have returning Emily Rivera. So Emily is currently a crisis counselor and victim advocate for survivors of sexual assault and other traumatic events. Of course, she's with us at the VSC. And she holds a master's in mental health counseling and is a registered intern with the state of Florida pursuing licensure. So Emily, thank you also for returning today. Thanks, Emily. Thank you so much for... um bringing this to the community and giving us your time and your, your passion. Thank I'm so sharing. excited. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to both um, have you here today um, and to hear your expertise on this. I'm really passionate about body positivity as well. So just as just a brief introduction, body positivity is a huge social movement that we have seen all over social media over the last few years. Uh, the idea is that regardless of size, shape, race, ethnicity, gender, ability, etc., that everyone should have a positive body image despite society's conventional ideas of beauty. So what we are looking to explore in this episode is what is body positivity? What effects does it have on self-esteem and mental health? And how can we all practice it? So with that in mind, my first question for you, Catherine, would be, what does body positivity mean to you? Um, well, for me, body positivity is accepting yourself where you're at and also knowing that your worth um, doesn't have to do with what you look like or what you do. It's an intrinsic part of who you are. Um, and I also think that lately there's been um, 
kind of like a move movement away from body positivity and more towards terms like body neutrality or body respect just because largely the images that are um, portrayed in the body positivity movement um, are um, people around like size 16 or white people or people with um, bigger bodies that are um, curvy or there's a certain type of look and not everybody might feel included in that. Thank you so much for sharing. I love that um, it seems like it's all about inclusivity, right? And it's important that that aspect is brought to the table, certainly for body positivity. Um, so thank you so much. I wanted to actually throw the question to you, Emily, too. Um, you know, what does body positivity mean to you? Of course. I honestly see body t- positivity as loving and accepting who you are, where you are, both inside and out, regardless of culture or society's demands. Um, It's just really embracing where you are in life because, as you know, we're ever-changing. And it's not letting the outside pressures influence what you love about yourself and who you are. Absolutely. Yeah, love love both of those answers. Um, So I wanted to ask Catherine... What are some common misconceptions? It seems like you kind of touched on them earlier, but what are some common misconceptions about body positivity that you wanted to share? I think some people feel like in the movement, you have to um, love yourself 100% of the time, um, all day, every day, wake up in the morning, like doing affirmations. And, you know, it's just, it's just not realistic. Um, so I think that, you know, people can have a practice of, um, body love and self-acceptance, but at the end of the day, um, whether it be, um, the weather outside or a mental illness or, um, recent bad news that can all affect how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your body in the given moment. So having, um, space and grace um and nurturing yourself is is and and just like accepting where you're at could be like you're not happy right now with your body and like understanding the reasons why and giving yourself grace to feel how you feel um I think just yeah having that like unrealistic expectation that if you do the work you're going to love yourself every day 100% of the time um I think that that's unrealistic and then just um, be, and j- then just like knowing that there are systems that affect the way how you feel and acknowledging that it's not going to be perfect. I love that answer because, yeah, I think there is a lot of pressure um, to always feel positive about your body. And even though you might be practicing body positivity, if you're feeling like down for one day, you could feel like you're not body positive at all ever which just feels really um, discouraging. So I appreciate that. Emily, wanted to see if you wanted to chime in on some misconceptions about body positivity. Sure, absolutely. So I'll take it in a little bit different spin. Um, Being a counselor, I'll take it from some of the um, perspectives that I have heard from clients. And I've heard everything from, you know, if it's somebody who's very active, very fit, concerned about what they put inside their body. Um, I have heard people shame them for that, um, almost spinning it on the side of conceit. 
um, self-absorbed. I've also heard on the flip side, somebody who is very body positive about their curves and just loving um, their size. I've heard people call them lazy. So there's like, to me, those are very huge misconceptions. And it's, it's strange because I feel like no one's really safe from society and their demands. That's such an interesting way to put it. Like it's on both sides of the spectrum, mm -hmm. um, kind of like a double-edged sword. Uh, if you're fit, then you're not being body positive. You're being anti-body positive in that sense, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But then if you're a different size, then you have the common societal norm of you're not thin, so you must be lazy. Mm -hmm. um, so in a sense... I'm sure it could, it, it, just like Catherine was mentioning earlier, you know, it's alienating a lot of people. That, I wanted to piggyback on that too, um, because that was a good point. And it kind of reminded me that um, even myself, I'm guilty of this, but I know other people are as well. It's kind of like sometimes people feel like they have to arrive at a certain point to start loving themselves. So they're loving themselves can't start right now, maybe when they're in the midst of addiction or it can't start when they are not fitting into their shorts that they fit into a couple weeks ago. Like they have to, it's like they have to do the work um, to be deserving of, of um, loving themselves. And like once they arrive to a certain place, then that can start. Um, so yeah, it definitely goes along with like the loving yourself where you're at which definitely isn't easy, but um, it's something that even I struggle with. And I know a couple other people struggle with just the, the belief that you can't start loving yourself now. You have to wait until you've done some type of work to make yourself look or, or um, have like a certain level of achievement before you can just go into that. I really appreciate that acknowledgement. I definitely can relate to that. I think a lot of people can. Once I have the perfect skin, once I lose a few pounds, then I'll love myself, which that's not how it works, <laughs> right? But it's so hard. It's so hard to do. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Catherine, what are some societal elements that you have found factor into body image as it relates to sex? I wanted to ask you this being uh, the sex educator for Planned Parenthood. Um, the first thing that comes to mind with that is porn, um, because I know, like, because sex education kind of sucks still, and there, a lot of people don't have access to it, young people are curious. And um, I've also heard that, um, uh, like, the way how we learn things a lot of the time is through observation. Um, like, someone learns how to walk, like, they're watching other people walk. Um, someone learns how to use chopsticks. They're typically having someone show them or they're, or they're, or they're looking at someone else. When it comes to sex, it's kind of like you're left on your own unless you have sex education. And as I said before, it doesn't, it's not really the best here. So, um, a lot of people go to porn, um, to, to see like what sex should be or what people should look like. And, um, oftentimes there is a lack of consent there's a lack of uh, protection. There's um, a certain type of looking penis or vulva, um, or um, there's different categories that fetishize people and put people into boxes and categories. Um, so 
all of those things definitely inform how people feel about themselves, the types of partners they choose, and what type of love they accept. And then as we know, porn is a product of our culture, which is largely white supremacist, fat phobic, um, capitalistic. Um, so all of those things I feel like go into um, porn along with um, just like we've heard the term sex sells. So in magazines and ads, there are different people that look desirable and um, they, you know, they fit the um, white ideal. So like straight hair, um, lighter skin. Um, and then even if they are um, a minority, typically they are having looser hair texture or lighter skin or slimmer body. And if they're plus size, you know, like I said, it goes up to around size 16 and not really a lot more than that. Or there's a shape that it's like, um, it, it's more so curvy instead of maybe like heavier on top and slimmer on the bottom. There's just certain ideals that are just around us 24 seven um, and are largely informed by our society. Got it. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise on that. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask you, Emily, there are a lot of body positive influencers on social media from TikTok to Instagram that use their platforms to talk about the importance of self-love and self-care while still photoshopping images and showing themselves in, you know, the best light possible, right? Um, and promoting certain products. So how do you see some of these influencers changing the way we view ourselves and how is the body positivity movement adapting through the use of social media? <laughs> I love this question because I'm so guilty of, um, you know, taking that wonderful selfie in the morning and thinking, whoa, those bags swipe left. Ah, perfect. They're all gone. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just it's readily available now. I don't know if this is necessarily something that's different because before Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, we've had magazines that have been edited and photoshopped throughout the years, television. It's just now we can all access it for free. Um, absolutely with the products that they're promoting, it's really hard not to compare ourselves. And I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, you can look at the image, you can respect it, but just know that you're your own person and the product isn't going to make you that individual. Um, it's hard. I do it every day and I have to remind myself that, you know, it's not that product that made that beautiful person. That is just a beautiful person because they're a beautiful person. So it's definitely a movement. Um, like I said, again, it's readily available. Um, so just remember that you're only seeing a piece of that person as well. And you're not seeing um, everything that's going on with that individual. Right. And I think it kind of goes back to what Catherine was saying earlier, where there's this misconception that yes. we always have to be 100% in love with how we look um, in order to be body positive. Um, but maybe what we're seeing on social media is you're seeing that little part where someone feels, you know, like, they're at their hundred percent. They're at their all in that moment. And, um, that's not how they always look. And I think we have this common misconception. Um, I mean, it's easy. I'm guilty of it thinking like, Oh, this, this person always looks like that. I don't always look like that. So, and then you start comparing, um, 
but yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of. I didn't know if uh, you, Catherine, or Emily wanted to piggyback off of that at all. Yeah, totally in agreement. Um, loving the way that Emily is answering her questions. Um, I definitely can hear like the mental health counselor in Ivory Coast. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm in school for mental health counseling too, so we have to like maybe connect. Yes, girl. This. Yes. <laughs> But um, I think what I was thinking about, because I was like, oh, my answer was so negative. Um, I also wanted to promote um, ethical porn um, because it's it's something that is, um, I believe, new. I haven't watched it myself. But um, what I've heard about it is that um, all of the people involved are um, paid um, accordingly and, and treated nicely and there's use of consent and um, protection and this like the scenes used are more realistic and representative of um, daily life. And there's um, diversity and inclusion of different body types, different um, abilities, um, different cultures and less um, uh, fetish, um, fetishization of people. So I haven't seen it myself, so don't like quote me. But um, there, if, if people, you know, want to use that as an option for like education or enjoyment or whatever, there is such a thing out there where, you know, you don't have to contribute to um, uh, human trafficking or um, people being treated badly in the porn industry. There is such a thing such as ethical porn, which might contribute um, in more of a positive way towards um, self-love and body positivity, um, in a sexual sense. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, and thanks so much for sharing about that. That's really important. I think to bring up to the, bring to the table, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, Catherine, but how do you feel body image plays into people's ability to communicate with potential partners about things like consent and STDs? Um, so what came to mind when I heard that question was, um, Sonia Renee, uh, Taylor wrote this book, The Body is Not an Apology. Um, it's on radical self-love. And one of the stories in the book that was so impactful for me was, um, she, she's a, um, this woman, she is a spoken word poet and she's competed nationally and in, I think, a couple of the first pages of the book, she talked about having this conversation with someone on her SLAM team who um, was disabled in a wheelchair and um, uh, had, having a pe pregnancy scare at the moment. And coming from, like, a sex educator background, she was, like, just saying, frankly, like, why didn't you use protection? And um, the woman who was disabled said... I, I just didn't want to like complicate, I didn't want to further complicate things. And what awakened and what was said by Sonia Renee Taylor was that your body is not an apology. So, um, you know, because of this um, mass um, demonstration and images of what you should look like, um, it makes people who don't fit that mold feel undeserving of what they want, of real love, of setting limits, of honoring themselves. And um, it, it ends up where people like just take crumbs because they don't feel deserving of it. 
Wow. I love that idea of the, that your body is not apology, is not an apology. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Catherine, as always. Um, Emily, I wanted to shift the gears here with you as well. How do you help clients draw the line between healthy self-care activities that support body positivity and unhealthy routines that they have come to perceive as healthy, such as, you know, rigid dietary or exercise regimes? Sure. So anytime somebody is showing signs of self-love and acceptance, I always want to praise that because as we are talking about it this morning, like it's, it's hard. It's hard to love who you are, where you are, even if you know there's some things that need to change. Um, but on the flip side, just like anything else in life, food, sex, alcohol, things can become addicting, just like wanting to get your body to a certain goal. Um, so if I'm starting to see signs of obsession, the rigid um, food intake, the over-excessive exercising, um, to the point of where it's getting in the way of life, that's where I'm going to start addressing some issues with them. Um, one thing that I've noticed a lot with clients is, um, say they're on a strict diet, they go to a party, they partake in a piece of cake, and then they proceed to punish themselves both mentally and physically for the days to come just for having that piece of cake. Okay. That's, that's not healthy. That's, that's an issue. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. It's about bringing awareness, um, and addressing being honest. And, um, you know, again, that's not body positivity to me. If it's getting to that point, that's becoming unhealthy. Right. Seems like a lot of this is a balance. Um, and, like everything is a balance, but also kind of, it seems like it's really important to separate your worth as a human being and your body, right? Like absolutely body isn't what's, what makes you a worthy person. And um, it's never changing, right? It's like, regardless of how much we try to slow down, how we are aging, it's going to happen. So we got to have more substance than just our outer appearance. <laughs> very true. Very true. Can I say something to that too? Of course. Um, there, and, and I'm not completely um, knowledgeable or privy to all of this, but there is um, like changes and like a new movement starting with like eating disorder recovery um, and just like health in terms of like, saying that no food is inherently bad. There's no good food. There's no bad food. I think it's the saying is like every food fits mm -hmm. and um, health at every size that um, your size is not indicative of how healthy you are. Um, and just like allowing people to kind of like intuitively feel what um, food is right for them and, and that it, it differs for every person and every body. So, um, yeah, I really, I really feel that like it, it was kind of like made me kind of emotional that people do feel like they have to restrict. And then when they do, it's like a punishment. So they, they have to restrict even more and it does lead to, um, poor health outcomes for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. That did hit me hard too. Definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you, Catherine, too, you know, Planned Parenthood 
utilizes guidelines from Sexuality Information and Education Council of the U.S., S-I-E-C-U-S, to teach kids from K through 12 about sex. So can you go into some details about how Planned Parenthood and S-I-E-C-U-S promote positive body image as a component of sex education at various ages? Sure. We call it CECUS, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good. That's a little easier to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... I think what comes to mind is that we teach people about their bodies um, and we try our best to make it in like a gender inclusive way. So when we're doing anatomy presentations, we try not to say this is the male anatomy, this is the female anatomy. We try to say like this is the anatomy of someone who has a penis or this is the anatomy of someone who has a vagina and um, really just breaking down um what each body part looks like, what it does, how cool its its function is. Um, when we talk about uh, pregnancy, we talk about the um, thousands of million or the hundreds of millions of sperm that come out the penis and the one egg out of a million that dropped from the the ovary and how like how those like combinations just like magically came to be and produced you and and what a miracle you are as a person to even be born and exist in this life um so first like valuing the person that like they are just special to even be here out of like the millions of possibilities that there could have been and then really like destigmatizing that um body parts are bad words um, and body parts are disgusting. So we do this little game where I'll ask them all the different um, names they have for penis or vagina and all the different names that they have for the elbow or the foot. And we'll see that there's like tons of names for penis or vagina, but so little or if any at all names for other body parts. And we talk about people's discomfort with saying with saying the names of body parts and what that does to someone when they would like to have access to um, health or something a little weird is going on with their body, but because they're uncomfortable talking about it or looking at it, they may not know because they don't they haven't explored what it normally looks like, and they might just feel weird about talking about it in general. So um, we definitely try to cover what anatomy looks like we're we're really there's a movement now we're really trying to center pleasure so whenever we talked about anatomy we would always kind of talk about the clitoris and how the main function of the clitoris is pleasure and um, talking about the nerve endings um, on the end of the penis and the nerve endings in the clitoris um so normalizing that like body like part of what a body does is like make itself feel good Um, And so talking about choice as well, that's choice and consent together. That was a really big, um, really a big moment for me when I was working at the juvenile detention center. And it was in, it was both actually in a, in a um, mostly girls class, mostly um, boys class, where we had the conversation about what consent looks like and that it can be reversible. I saw in a lot of the girls' faces there just like the shock and 
the um just the disbelief that they could start having sex with someone maybe feel pain or or not agree with the position and say no and that was okay and just because they had agreed you know five minutes ago or the other day to it doesn't mean that they have to continue or go through with someone that does something that doesn't feel comfortable for them and same with boys I had a conversation with boys um about like I would think I was asking in like a sex jeopardy class um what does consent look like and a boy talked about like you have to get someone to sign a contract and I was like even if someone signs a contract that doesn't mean that that contract would exist for the entire time someone is having sex like someone can change their mind and it's something that we need to be able to check up on before sex we need to talk about during sex and we need to have those conversations after sex to see what people liked what they didn't like what they would um want next time and etc um so that has that has really been important for me as well as um uh, talking about when people make um, rape jokes and, and jokes about sexual consent, that can come up a lot. I remember one time I had a girl raise their hand and, and be like, um, I raped my boyfriend, and she was just laughing about it. Um, another time in class, um, there we were talking about consent, and there was a boy that's like that said, yeah, when my girl, when my girlfriend says to stop, I don't. And so um, it's shocking um, for me as a sex educator, for me as like an advocate for people. But at the same time, I know that a lot of these kids have trauma. A lot of them learned these behaviors, um, whether it was done to them or something that was practiced in their home. So I really try to um, empathize with where they're at. My, My first approach was to give a whole lecture and like shut them down and they were like wide eyed and open mouth. But I really found that that technique um, made them feel in the defense and, and, and prevented them from opening up to me. So what I try to do now is I really try to empathize with where they're at and kind of like say, you know, I understand that it could be frustrating when, you know, someone says no, or when you feel rejected by someone, or maybe you're looking forward to doing something and then it doesn't happen. But like, try to think about if, you know, your, your mom or your brother or your sister, someone that you really love, how would you feel if they changed their mind about something and someone didn't respect that or someone continued to do harm to them, even though they said that they weren't okay with it? How would that make you feel? And when they think about it from someone that they really love and care about and have respect for, it kind of helps them to, um, to have those emotions, not only for themselves, but for everybody that they're interacting with. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. You know, we talk a lot about consent, you know, in our trainings too. Um, and it's so important to understand that it's a conversation. It's not, you know, yes. And then yes, forever, (laughs) you know, you have to keep having that conversation. Um, and also I want to highlight, the idea of that, yeah, it is interesting that there's a lot of different names for um, penis and vagina, but not other parts of the body, which comes with that shame, um, which obviously is not really body positive. So I wanted to highlight that too. And um, so Emily, I wanted to ask you, um, people often think of body image as just what is visible. 
so what are other components of body image that are important to consider? I think I had said earlier something along the lines of um, like the body is fleeting and ever changing. Um, so that's something that I always like to hone in on because we can get so stuck as a society and as an individual on our outer appearance. Um, but if you don't have what's going on the inside, if you don't have the confidence and the self-love, um, you know, really what is it worth to have a beautiful exterior? So I think it's kind of whole body, you know, mind, spirit, um, soul, kind of all coming together as one. I think they're kind of a unit in themselves. I don't know if you guys have ever met a person. Um, I have a friend like this. And to me, she's the most beautiful individual that I've ever met. But if you were looking at her just walking down the street, society would not deem her as the most gorgeous lady walking down the road. But knowing her because of her spirit and her soul and her kindness, she's just so good that she becomes the most radiant individual I've ever met. So, um, you know, I, I'm always preaching that to my clients that you really have to have it going on the inside first before it really radiates to your outer exterior. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Catherine, what are some ways that you have seen non-binary sexuality and gender identities play a role in body image? Um, I have seen just people become limitless in their expression and also in um, the roles that they play in their sexual life. So um, just like people being able to experiment with like um, their, their masculinity, their femininity, a combination of both, trying things out, seeing what works or what doesn't work, and um, just not feeling like you know, they have to exactly fit into the box. So someone who really loves their mustache and loves wearing dresses can do that and just like, and, and just be themselves. Um, so that's been really freeing. And then also what I've seen as well um, is, so it's like, there's a concept of like um, bottoms and tops. So people who are, um, more of the dominant or more of the submissive in the bedroom. It, in the past, it's been like, okay, the, the most masculine looking person is, is definitely the dominant. And the most um, feminine looking person is definitely um, the submissive. But now there's like a switching of roles where if even if people like are super feminine, and like, that's them, and that's how they like to express themselves, they can still take that dominant role in, in the bedroom. Or if someone's like really masculine, they like to express themselves, they can feel like, okay, they could still take that um, submissive role in the bedroom. And it's not judged, it doesn't have to be that way all the time. But I see more of like an experimentation, because um, with that like non-binary um, um, ideal and ideology, it's like there's fluidity. So someone doesn't have to be the same way all the time. They don't have to fit into gender roles. They could just like exist on like a spectrum and just all over the place and do what feels right for them at any given moment with consent. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the language that you're using, of course, which is, um, 
saying someone with a penis, someone with a vagina, someone with, you know, a beard. Because, of course, we understand that uh, gender is not connected to biological sex and it's fluid and all that. So I really appreciate the language that you're using. Um, It's really important. Um, Emily, I wanted to ask you, um, do you find body image plays into the way some clients cope with trauma? So for example, if someone who is recovering from the trauma of being assaulted believes making a physical change to their body will prevent a future assault in some way or anything that you want to share as a mental health counselor. Sure. Short answer is yes, absolutely. Um, What I have seen more is the indirect result um, from the trauma that has occurred. So what I mean by that is um, a client is sexually assaulted. um, As we know, or should know, there's a lot of shame and guilt that typically um, occurs after that. And um, when you feel guilty and shameful, like maybe you deserved this, um, when that wears on you, it shows on the outside. So you just naturally see um, like a digression in the way that they look physically. So I see it more indirectly. I haven't had too many clients who have actually gone out of their way um, to change their appearance because maybe they thought something they were wearing or the way that they looked physically was the reason why that person came at them and attacked them. But definitely indirectly, I see it happening quite often uh, because they stop seeing worth in themselves. And I think um, there's a lot of victim blaming too, right? That I'm sure that um, we hear all the time from society too, which is, oh, this person asked for it by looking this certain way. I'm or they shouldn't have worn that outfit. Yes, so he, ugh, makes me angry. <laughs> it's really frustrating, absolutely. So that's why it's so important that we, you know, combat that victim-blaming culture. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Catherine just had a question for you as well. Um, how do things like social media help or hinder body positivity? We talked a little bit about it, but I didn't know if you had anything else that you wanted to add. Um. Well, I would just say that um, I know for myself and a couple other friends, um, having like access to role models has been like really beneficial. So being able to like um, go on Instagram and see people of different shapes, body sizes, colors, abilities, um, and even go to like pages that have like a compilation of different people where you could like follow their accounts and just like be flooded with um just like affirmations and people that look like you um I think we talked about um like acne and having like a perfect face so there's been like a lot of um awareness and photographs of people just in their state like without makeup and um, that has been really helpful for me personally to see that. Um, and then also um, like people who, a lot of the times I think like for um, when people have like surgeries, like um, they've had to like remove their breast tissue because of cancer or um, just having to have any other types of invasive surgeries, typically like when they are shown like the medical model for what you're going to look like afterward, it's white or it's um, smaller body size. So I feel like um, 
Erica Hart, she's um, a sexuality educator who has had her um, breast tissue removed because of because of um, breast cancer in the past. And so she'll like um, basically parade on Instagram topless to like show everybody what that looks like on a black body. So um, things like that, there's just so much more access to role models and to people that look like you and people just really like enjoying life, living life, or just like, you know, just kind of carrying on with their daily activities. Like there's nothing special about me. I'm just like living my life as a normal person. And I think that in itself is really empowering. Love that. Thank you so much. Um, Emily wanted to ask you, uh, you know, how do you help your clients overcome the thoughts and emotions that may lead to a negative body image? So I'm going to give you guys a fun little story that I give my clients um, that happened to me back in middle school. And I always give it to them just as like a segue into negative body image and how it comes about because, you know, we're not born being negative about ourselves. That is something that's learned. So when I was in seventh grade, I was a volleyball player and I was on the team with my best friend. And, you know, growing up, I thought we all just looked the same. Like I didn't see a difference, even though I'm five foot nothing. And that five foot is in my, my torso. Um, my friend was much taller than I was and she had these long, beautiful legs and, you know, volleyball, we play, we wear those little spandex shorts. So we're out there playing and these cute boys in the stand were making fun of her. They were calling her chicken legs and I could hear it. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're going to talk about my friend like that. So I went over there and I started telling them off and these boys looked at me and they said, well, what are you going to do about it? Turkey legs. And I, y'all, I've been to Disney and I've had a turkey leg and they're huge. Um, so in that moment, I was like, wait a second. You mean I don't have chicken legs? And from that point on, it became a very negative aspect of who I was and how I felt about my body. And it took years, unfortunately years, to kind of reverse that stigma and um, that negative image of myself. So when I have clients come in that focus negatively on an aspect of who they are, it at first has to really become almost like a routine that you have to implement into their daily life. And it's really annoying because nobody likes to add something, especially when you're an adult. But if you look at it as your thoughts trigger your emotions, that kind of equals your behavior, right? So you got to start spinning it in a positive light. So I have them do anything from journaling to uh, words of affirmation, calling people who are going to say positive things in their life, um, taking moments to reflect and focus on something good. And yes, it's not ideal. And it's, it's not easy. It's not fun. But if you make it a routine, it, it starts to become a part of your life. And then it's something that you can start believing. Um, and then it, you don't have to do it as much because it's already implemented in your daily life. Uh, it's unfortunate that one negative is so much easier to believe about yourself than 10 positive things. So it's just, it's not easy. And it's a very long process. I also love to advocate for mental health. So if anyone's struggling with body positivity, it's great to connect with a really good therapist because they can walk alongside you with that process and they're not going to be judging you. They're not going to be shaming you throughout that process. And they're going to give you really handy tools to help you succeed. 
Love that. Love everything that you say, as always, both of you, of course. Um, but yeah, I think just want to reiterate kind of what Emily said, which is you're not alone in this. I think you're hearing it from all three of us that were, you know, personally affected by it too. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing your story, Emily. Um, uh, Catherine, I had a, you know, la- last couple questions here. Um, you know, what are some barriers that people face as it relates to practicing body positivity? And specifically, I'd like to go into, you know, specific demographics, you know, um, some specific barriers such as like women, men, uh, maybe people with disabilities, um, anything that you'd like to talk about as it relates to specific demographics? Um, So the first thing that comes to mind is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if someone doesn't have access to um, shelter, food, safety, um, like familial support, then there's no way that they can um, kind of climb up the pyramid and get into that like self-acceptance body positivity realm. It, it, it really is like, like they have to take the steps to get up there. So um, that in itself is a barrier. Um, the, just how people don't have access to those basic needs. And if you don't have access to those basic needs, you're in survival mode and body positivity is like not even on your radar which totally makes sense. Um, I think for, for people that maybe want to access it and have time and space to access it, um, it it's, it's about their ability to um, have healthcare that is not discriminatory, is not biased. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about how um, doctors might be, might be subscribing to the mentality of fat phobia or even might be like homophobic or stigmatizing towards people. Um, I remember one time I went to an endocrinologist and one of the um, questions they asked was about my um, sexual orientation, which I'd never been asked before. So I felt like it was a little invasive. I don't know why they asked it, but they did. So I, I put it down in the demographics. And then when I was meeting with the doctor, she was like, oh, you're such a pretty girl. Like, you don't want a husband? And it was just like, you know, <laughs> super invasive, super invasive. So, um, and, and that doesn't happen to me often, but like, just maybe for other people, that might happen more often. And it might be like a barrier towards them even going in and getting healthcare because they feel like the root problem is not going to be addressed. It's going to be some other facet of who they are. And so even if they have the time, space, um, money, they might not feel safe going into those offices. Um, I, I also think like, you know, w- when you have um, insurance and healthcare, like you can, you, you are able to go into the health center, you are able to talk to a doctor, but like sometimes doctors, you know, they'll spend maybe 10 minutes with you, they'll give you some medications and then you're done. But if you wanted access to like a holistic or a naturopath doctor to really spend like a significant portion of time with you and really get to the root of, you know, all of the things that you you might be dealing with, that's a lot of money. And typically you have to pay out of pocket for it. Um, Things like mental health counselors, that's not always cheap, especially if you want to get a good one. Um, And then just having the time in your schedule, like if you work a nine to five, Typically, counselors work nine to five, so you might not be able to even get to one. 
So um, those things are definitely a big issue. And then um, I've said this a little bit before, but just um, having images of the body positivity and what it looks like to be body positive, when you see that on a person that looks completely different from you, that automatically makes you think like, I don't have access to it. Um, And I will say with um, boys and, and men, there's definitely a lot of um, stigma and talk around penis size. So it's not like brought up that much, but especially in porn, it's like, you have to like have a certain size or there's a stereotype with black men that black men have large penises. So if you're a black male, and you don't have a large penis, then it makes you feel uncomfortable. And, and like, you're not going to have like a good sex life. I've had that conversation before with, um, some boys at a group home where we were started out doing anatomy and then it went into like self-esteem. And again, when I was talking about like, you know, penises and that this can go for um, vaginas and vulvas as well, they're as unique as your faces. They don't all look the same. They're not supposed to look the same. And what one partner might find um, like unattractive, another person might find really attractive and that it works for them. Everybody is so unique and different, but when we're presented with this one image of what um, bodies look like, what pleasures look like, what being in a romantic relationship looks like, then it just blocks everybody who doesn't fit into that um, picture from feeling like they're deserving or they have access to those things. I just wanted to say, I'm so, so sorry that happened to you um, at the doctor's office. That's awful that no one should go through that. Um, And I just want to validate that experience um, and your feelings out there. Um, But also, thank you so much for sharing more specific barriers that people go through. Um, Emily, as a mental health counselor, could you talk about some of the dangerous mental health disorders that deal with body image, such as anorexia and bulimia, as well as its effects on self-esteem? I think we talked a little bit about you know, being a little more strict on your diet and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know if you had anything else you wanted to add. Sure. Um, like you mentioned, there's anorexia, bulimia, there's binge eating, there's self-harm, such as cutting, hair pulling, skin picking. Um, absolutely all of these have effects on self-esteem. It's definitely a component of the disorders. However, these are very dangerous disorders. Um, they have lasting long-term mental physical effects um, on our body. So when I deal with clients who are struggling with some of these issues, it's more important, in my opinion, not just to focus on the self-esteem aspect of it, because there's a very deeper layer there. Um, A lot of it has to do with trauma and control. Um, So if I have a client that's struggling with anorexia, it's typically because a lot of things in their life are out of control. Um, So if it is a component of self-esteem and wanting to look a certain way because um, a person or a group has imposed on them a negative outlook on their body, um, it's them taking back that control um, and developing that disorder. So it definitely has effects on self-esteem, but again, there's layers to it that are typically deeper and need to be addressed first. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Catherine, as a last question to you, are there specific things people can practice for body positivity as it relates to their sexual health? Yes. Um, this is something that I definitely do in my daily life. Um, because I think like it, like 
nurturing your sexuality and your sensuality really can um, start with yourself. And much like we um, prescribe that before people get into romantic relationships, they have self-love. I think it's the same with um, before getting into sexual relationships, like have like a sensuality practice within yourself. So um, things that work for me, and, and it might not be for everybody, but like taking bubble baths, dancing to music that you like, um, burning incense or burning candles, um, like massaging your body, putting lotion on. Um, practicing um, just proper hygiene of like bathing, or showering, brushing your teeth, cleaning your face, um, putting on clothes that like feel good on your skin and that you look good in. Um, all of those things I feel like can, um, can help to kind of nourish that like sensual sexual being that you are and take care of that. Um, and then there's also this concept I recently recently heard about, which is the want, will, won't list. So uh, like on a sheet of paper, you could divide it into three and you could put like want things that like you want in your sexual life, um, whether like that be positions or whether it be um, a certain type of um, partner or just whatever you like. Um, will things that, you know, you don't mind that you can do that are just like whatever, and then won't hard limits that just won't practice. So, um, when, if, and when someone decides that they want a partner, they can ask them to form that list, compare lists, and then find like the happy medium. Um, so that's really good just to do on your own. And then, I think like just normalizing conversations of consent and also um, STI conversations, whether that be with your family, whether it be with your friends. Um, because I think one of the things that is like a limiting factor in like body positivity and people's sexual life is just that stigmatization of STDs. So like we often like shame people for not um, talking about living with their STIs with their partners, but like the, the, the reaction of the world is like, you're disgusting, you were unsafe, you were irresponsible. So with all of that, like on you, like you can imagine why someone would be scared, especially when there's not a lot of um, information on how someone can respond when someone openly does disclose to them about an STI. So that's something like that's education that I have as well when I'm talking with you about just like how to have conversations about STIs and how to like bring that up and just like normalize it. So whether you practice that in your family or your friendships, um, you know, saying, oh, it's it's Friday night. Let's go get an STI test and go to dinner. Um, something like that, I think, is um, is good. Thank you so much. I love that. Um, and Emily, as a final question to you, you know, what can people do to practice and promote body positivity, not just for themselves, but for others too? So I always like to bring it back to um, educating yourself, especially with everything that is going on this year, just as a positive, we're halfway through everyone, halfway through 2020. Oh, so educating yourself, listening. Listening is a huge component, and it's not really in 
not really a quality that a lot of humans possess. So learning how to listen to others, even listening to yourself, that's a big one too. A lot of times we kind of like to bulldoze through our thoughts and our emotions, but sometimes we really need to sit in them and to listen. Uh, and then being active, be active with yourself, be active with the community, um, you know, sharing positivity, um, promoting a healthy body image, not just for yourself, but also for others and expressing that. And I think that's a wonderful place to kind of sign off. But before I do, Catherine, Emily, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, say um, before we go ahead and wrap this up? I'll just jump in and say for everyone listening, you are enough. You are so enough. You are so worthy and you are beautiful. Catherine, anything you'd like to say? Um, yeah, I'll share a mantra that is actually on my mirror. Um, I got it from um, Peer Support Space. Um, they have wonderful um, support groups led by people with lived experience. But one of the support groups that was like really helpful to me um, someone like wrote, um, what I'm about to say on a little sticky note and I just took it home. Um, so it says to my body, I love you. I need you. I want you. I feel you. I hear you. I see you. I choose you. I love that. Wonderful. Oh my gosh. I love peer support space, by the way, we did have Yasmin on here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Wonderful resource. Um, in Central Florida as well. Um, but thank you so much, both of you, Emily and uh, Catherine. I really appreciate you both taking the time to sit here and have this really important conversation. Um, and I also wanted to thank the listener for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you once again, Emily and Catherine, for being on for a second time and for chatting with me today. Thanks, Sam. You're awesome. <laughs>